What have you learned from your children? Mothers, what have you learned from your children? Anybody like to venture? Uh, what was that again? Patience. Patience. Very good. What have you learned from your children? <laughs> uh, John Hummelby says this, what mothers learn from their children. Mothers learn from their children that are three years old that their voice is louder than 200 people in a crowded restaurant. That when you hear the toilet flush and the words, oh no, it's already too late. <laughs> Mothers learn from their children that Play-Doh and microwaves should never be used in the same sentence. They also learn that superglue is forever. And they have learned that the Creve Corps Fire Department has a 15-minute response time. Mothers learn from their children that the spin cycle on the washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy, but it does cats. Also, they learn that cats can throw up twice their body weight when they're dizzy. And the final thing is this. They learn that certain Lego blocks can pass through the digestive tract of a four-year-old. What do we learn? What is a mother? All right, if I were to ask you, what is a mother, what would you say? Nurturer. A nurturer, exactly, a nurturer. What else? Uh-huh, patron, yes. What else? What is a mother? <laughs> okay. Amen. What is a mother? A woman that loves you unconditionally. One who puts your needs before her own, one you can count of above all others. Some mothers never bear a child, but they are mothers to those that nurture and love that they have opportunities. We have a number of mothers in our congregation that work in Sunday school classes and they mother and they care for those under their charge in Awanas and Children's Choir and Kids Zone. All of those. All of those. It, 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 it's just not a biological thing. It's more than that. It's a nurturing. It's a gift that God gives. The spiritual truth that I want to share with you, I want you to ponder today, is this. Great women are persons of stellar character, integrity, and faith. Please, think about that. Who makes a great mom? A mom of character, of integrity, and of faith. Ray Searsman says it this way, so often the most important elements of good parenting are completely ignored. Such things as faithfulness, compassion, forgiveness, self-sacrifice, encouraging, and a spiritual love. The greatest qualities of character make a great person in the eyes of God. And thus this morning, we come to 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. And this morning, we're going to talk about a notable woman. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 8 through verse 37. I'd ask you to turn to that passage of Scripture in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, the Bible is in the pew. It is yours. Take that. 
We're going to talk about a notable woman, a woman of character that is noticed not only by those that are around her, but is also noticed by God. 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 8, and I would ask you to stand in honor of God's word. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shum, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there and ate some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. And let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room, and he lay down. Then he said to Gehaz, his servant, call the Shuamite woman. When he had called for her, she stood before him, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all of this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered and said, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for you? And Gehaz also answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to the servants, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God. She shut the door upon him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I might run to the man of God and come back. And he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And said, she said, It is well. Heavenly Father, We've read part of the story, but here is a woman that loses the one thing that she desires more than life itself, and because of faith, she says, it is well. Lord, let us mark these words and be reminded again that this is a notable woman. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a startling passage of Scripture that we've read this morning. It is a passage of faith. It is a passage of heartache. It is a passage of testing of all that a person is. And it is a passage we need to understand. The Bible introduces us to this woman. It never calls her by name. Matter of fact, she is known by the city she lives in, a small town 
Shulam, it's about 25 miles southeast of Mount Carmel, where Elisha lived. And as Elisha would travel throughout the country, sharing the word of God, he would pass through this little city where this notable woman lived. The word notable is an interesting word in the Greek, for what it means is greatness. What, what the Bible is saying about this woman is she was worthy to be noted. She was remarkable. She was distinguished. She was prominent. Also, it carries the idea of being one that has material possession. So this one was a woman, a prominent woman in her community. Now, why did God take notice of this woman? What makes this story something that your pastor wants to share this with you? Take the sermon summary out. We've got some points to take a look at. This woman is an example, not just to those ladies in the congregation, but she is an example to all of us of how we're to live our life if we desire for God to take notice of our life. What is the first thing we see about this woman? Go to verse 8, look at what it says. Now it happened one day that Elisha, he went through Shum, and there a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. Anybody here ever been on a journey and been hungry? Anybody here ever thought that, boy, I just need to get somewhere where I can get something to eat? This woman saw the prophet of God traveling through on foot, and what she noticed more than anything else was his need. She had compassion on him. <clears throat> a woman or a man or a teenager that is noticed by God cares for others. She saw not just her need, and she had needs, not just her loss, but she saw his need, and it touched her heart. He was tired, he was weary. He needed a place to rest, and she took the time. What does that mean? That means she lived her life outside of herself. She gave herself to others. She cared for others. And a quality that God notices is compassion. The scripture says she prepared food for him every time he walked through her town. And not only that, this prominent woman took out of her own resources and she built him an apartment on the wall. She made a place. She was generous. She was kind. She was touched by the needs of others. She wanted to help. And God takes notice of that. Now, Pastor, how do you know that? There are two parables that are my favorite. Anybody, what is your favorite parable that Jesus taught? The prodigal son. Okay, how many of you love the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son? Okay, most hands go up. How many of you are prodigals? Now, you don't have to raise your hand, all right? The prodigal son is one... That is exactly right. What's another favorite parable? The Good Samaritan. What do the prodigal son and the Good Samaritan have in common? What does the prodigal son and the Good Samaritan have in common? Compassion. That's exactly. You want to take God, God to take notice of your life? Let there be a compassion. Let there be a sense of looking. The prophet didn't come to her door and knock on her door and, and say to her, would you make a contribution to my charity? 
Anybody get calls like that? No, she saw him on the streets of her little town. And out of her own heart, she went out of her way to have compassion on him. Those two parables, remember the one of the Good Samaritan where the Baptist preacher walked by and the chairman of deacons walked by on the other side? But a half-breed, an outcast, came by and saw the man beaten. And the scripture says, when he saw him, he had compassion. The lost son, the parable, the scripture says the father, as he looked out for that son he longed for. Any of you have a child you long for? Scripture says, as the father looked out, but when he was still a great way off, that's the son coming back in repentance. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Compassion was so important to Jesus that two of his greatest stories center, hinge on compassion. You want to be notable to God? Be compassionate. Think of others, not yourself. Think of them. So much so that the Scripture gives us commands. In Ephesians 4.32, it talks about how we're to react to one another individually, and it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Is there somebody you just can't forgive? Is there a bitterness, an anger inside? Well, sweet friend, God takes notice of that. Now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, like Hector and Gabe have, you're going to go to heaven. But God's going to continue to deal in your life to deal with that root of bitterness. When Jesus speaks to us, he tells us, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. And our church, in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, how important is compassion? Therefore, the elect of God, who are the elect of God? That's us. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bear one another, forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you also, hear this, must do. Above all of these things, put on love which is the bond of perfection. God notices compassion. Look at verse 9. The scripture says in verse 9 these words, and she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Not, not only is a notable woman someone who has compassion, but is a person who is discerning, is spiritually discerning. She looked out and saw this old man walking down the road, and she knew something was different with him. Why? Because I believe she had spent time with God. I believe she had prayed. He was a man of God, she said. She understood what it was, the difference between genuine and counterfeit. Do you understand that? Have you spent time with God that you know when someone presents themselves to me, there is a legitimate heart for Christ inside or they are a religious counterfeit? She knew the difference because she was an individual of faith. 
And God gave her a discerning spirit. You want to know what to do about the future? You want to know how to raise your children? You want to know how to help your grandchildren? You want to know how to live your life in such a way that God takes notice of you? Then spend time with God and ask God to make you discerning. There was a man. There was a man that soon was going to come into the greatest moment of his life, a moment in which he would take on the mantle of authority for his nation. His name was Solomon, and he went before God and asked. Now, what did he ask? That his enemies be put to the sword? Did he ask that God would give him power? Did he ask that God would give him wisdom? Yes. Lord, make me discerning. Is that your prayer? Is your priority in life, Mom, that your kids turn out well, that somehow you get through your marriage? Or is your priority for all of us to discern the will of God? See, we Americans need to take a step back. And redefine the idea that our things don't define us, don't own us. We need to begin to live in the spiritual realm. And to realize that God's priority of sharing, loving, caring needs to be our priority. But sweet friends, that doesn't come from a seminar. It comes from time spent with God. God's desire is that you be spiritually discerning, knowing right from wrong, knowing what to say and when to say it. And God takes notice of that. God takes notice if you speak to him and say, Lord, what should I do? How should I do it? She was compassionate. She was spiritually discerning as she looked out and she saw Elisha. And she said, he's a man of God. I'm going to help him. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. The scripture says, please let us make an upper apartment, an upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be there whenever he comes to us and he can turn in there. She was a woman of hospitality, hospitable. She was willing to open her home to him. You see, in the day of Elisha, there were no holiday inns. There, there, were, there were no places for him to stay. As he walked and in his journey, he was dependent upon the grace of those who were around him. As he shared the word of God, as he went from place to place, as God directed him, he depended on some to open their hearts and open their lives, and that's what this woman did. Yesterday, um, I had the privilege to go to a wedding shower. Okay, Um, may I be very truthful with you? Taking showers is a regular habit, but going to wedding showers or baby showers is not something I usually do. Okay, Uh, but I went to this one held in the home of one of our people for someone who's not related to them, but someone in her Sunday school class. And you know what I saw? I saw the hospitality and the grace of Christ. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you opened your home up 
for spiritual fellowship? When was the last time you went out of your way and went to Sam's or Costco or Walmart or Deerberg's or Schnucks and, and bought a plate of meat or cheese and invited people to come over to your house and sit down and to talk and to laugh and to pray? When I study about my master, do you know what he loved doing? Sitting down with his boys around fried fish. Sitting with his boys and talking with them. Or anyone else in someone's house and having somebody tear the roof out and bring somebody down. Is this a congregation of hospitality? And and, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about them inviting you to their house. I'm talking about you. Open up your home to invite people. People come to me many times and say, Pastor, uh, I don't have many friends. You know what my answer to that is? Be a friend. Take opportunities to look for ways You can minister to others. But pastor, if I do that, they'll probably take advantage of you. Take advantage of me. Guess what? You're much like your master then. You want to be somebody that's noticed by God? Open your home up. You want to be somebody that God says, there's my child. There's the one I love. But if I do that, pastor, they're going to mess my house up. You're exactly right. They will. But you already mess your house up. You might as well have help, okay? She was compassionate. She was spiritually discerning. She was hospitable. And in verse 13, it says this. When she was asked, what can I do for you? Can I go to the king? Can I go to the commander of the army? You know what she said? I live among my own people. Sweet friends, here's something. She was a woman that had great needs. And every woman here understands that. But she said, I live among my people. You know what she was saying? Everything I've ever wanted, I have. I don't want a bigger house. I don't want clothes. I don't want jewelry. I'm content. She's got, she's spiritually discerning. She's got the man of God who performs miracles. And her response when he asked her, not she asked him, I have everything I need. One of the greatest problems we have in this life is not being content. It's coveting other things. It's never being at peace. It eats us alive. If only I had. Sweet friend, that's not going to satisfy you. It's not. Peace is found not in things. Anybody get a sewer bill? It gnarls my soul every time I pay $45 for my sewer bill. 
Sometimes I pay more for my sewer than I pay for my water. How does that happen? And you know what God says to me? Son, you've been in countries where the sewer was the creek outside the house. Be content. Are you? Are are you always longing for something else? Now, don't misunderstand me. All of us have needs. All of us have wants. But if you want to be recognized by God, if you want to be noteworthy in God's sight, he wants to see a content spirit. He wants to see someone who trusts him. What does the Bible say about contentment? Philippians 4.11, the Bible says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. This is a guy who's in jail. This is a guy who's lost everything. And what he says, I'm content. Why should I be content? Pastor, you don't know my needs. You don't know my social status. You don't know my economic background. Why should I be content? Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Why? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You got Jesus with you. If Jesus knows when a sparrow falls, yesterday along with the shower, we went with our son and daughter-in-law who graciously invited us to go with them to a bear picnic, used to be Monsanto, and they had little animals. And one of the rabbits, I guess, got out, and I watched my grandchildren chase a rabbit around. And I think the rabbit was enjoying it. Because once he got back to his nest where he was safe and the children were thronged in their effort of trying to find him, he came back out and chased again. That was a content moment for me. Sweet friends, God is with you. He hasn't lost your address. He hasn't forgotten about your needs. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you don't have problems. You don't have difficulties. But your heart is content that he will walk with you and he will care for you. And as the scripture says, he will never forsake you. Do you believe it? What can I do for you? I'm content, prophet. I'm content. Compassionate, spiritually discerning, hospitable, content. And verse 15 and 16, look at those verses. The Bible says this. So he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to thy maidservant. May I say something to this this world? In 2019, the woman was discreet. There were two men in that room, one a prophet, a man of God, and his servant were there. 
Her husband was in the field. She was alone. And when she was called down, the scripture said she stood in the doorway. She did not go into the room. Why? Because she wanted to make sure there was no question about improper conduct. She wanted to avoid any appearance of evil. We've forgotten that in our day. She was discreet. She would not sacrifice her integrity to meet her emotional needs. She could have gone in and said to the prophet, I'll do anything if you'll give me what I want. But she stood at the doorway. She paid attention to her personal integrity and her reputation and the reputation of Elisha and his servant. Don't forget that. Don't forget that in how you live. Men, women, teenagers. Why? Because God takes notice. Why in the world, in 2 Kings, with all the things that are going on in the life of the interaction between Elisha and this woman, the Shulamite woman, why in the world would they put a sentence, she stood on at the door? Because God wants us to know this is a woman of integrity. Guard your reputation. Honor God. Verse 18 through 25 tell us something else. A crisis came. A crisis came into the life. The child was born. The child was alive. The child probably at this point is five, six years old, maybe older. But he's old enough to go into the field with his father. The reaper's there. And as he goes into the field, something terrible happens. Verse 19 says, my head, my head. A sudden complaint. My head hurts, Daddy. My head hurts. Maybe it was heat stroke. Maybe it was a brain aneurysm. Whatever it was, it led to his death. And nothing could set it right except God. And what did that woman do? It was a test of faith. A promise died. A child given. And did God fail her? Have you ever felt like God gave you something and then he took it away? That's what she's facing. But you know what she did? In her time of crisis, she was diligent. She kept her head. Why? Because she believed God gave her a child by a miracle. And if God could do it once, he could do it again. Sweet friends, do you believe that? In whatever circumstances you work in, whatever difficulties you have, do you really believe that God can work all things together for your good? Because, sweet friends, that what, that's what it is to walk by faith. That's what it is to know Christ as Savior. You can wrangle with it. You can wring your hands. You can do everything you can to try to manipulate the situation. But the answer to your need is that God works in you and through you. you. You see, the difficulty with us in the United States of America is this. We really don't need God. We have everything we really need until the crisis comes. 
until the doctor says it's terminal. Whether it's you or whether it's your loved one. Or the boss says, we don't need you anymore. Or the market falls. Or the relationship ends. This woman kept her head, made a decision. She went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God. Why? Because, sweet friend, she wanted the body of her boy to be as close to a godly influence as she could be. And that was that room where that prophet stayed. She shut the door in the Middle East when someone dies because of the climate there. They almost immediately bury them. She did not make plans for a funeral. Remember, it was a miracle she had the child. She did not make plans for a funeral. She made plans for a resurrection. That's what took place. She had a plan. Husband, send me a donkey. Send me a boy. Her plan was to travel 25 miles from her town to Mount Carmel to see the man of God. You're in a crisis? Then be diligent. Have a godly plan. Go to the Lord. Let the Lord work it out. Stanley Schwartz says it this way. Someone once said that persistence is like wrestling a gorilla. You don't give up when you get tired. You give up when the gorilla gets tired. Be diligent. Be diligent about a plan to follow God's leadership. Don't fall apart. Trust him. Notable, compassionate, spiritual discerning, hospitable, content, discreet, diligent, and the final thing, God takes notice of a woman who is steadfast. She believed. She goes directly to Elisha. The servant is sent and the servant can do nothing. And what the woman does when she comes into his presence, she falls at his feet, grabs his foot in submission and makes her request. And she will not leave Elisha until he goes. She kept her faith no matter what happened. She was there with the only one that could make this right. She did not let the crisis destroy her faith. Can I tell you something about your life? You're in a schoolroom right now. One of my favorite commentators is Wearsby. Wearsby, in, in speaking about the life that you and I live, says this. That God has enrolled every one of us in a school. It is the school of faith. In the school of faith, the Bible is your textbook. The troubles in life are the exams. Do you hear that? You see, I have said it, you have said it. God, why are you doing this to me? You have been enrolled in a school. It is the school of faith. And the things that come into your life, they're the exams. How do you pass them? Or do you fail them? In school, we study the lessons. We still fail sometimes the exam. 
However, in the school of faith, after you have failed the exam, then we know the lessons that God is trying to teach us. In her crisis, she trusted God. She believed that if he did it once, he can do it again. Do you believe that? Whatever you face this morning, whatever difficulty has come into your life, do you believe that God will never leave you, never desert you? He'll walk with you through the end. And because of that, you will be noticed by God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have taken us back to a time that's not familiar to us, but Heavenly Father, it is very poignant, particularly for this moment. It is a reminder, Lord, that you never forsake us nor leave us. It's a reminder, Lord, that promises are made, but only God can keep them till the end. And that our lives are held in your hands, and that, Lord, your desire is to shepherd us and to care for us and to minister to our greatest need. But in that, Lord, we must have faith. We must put our trust in you. Because, Lord, above everything else, we want you to take notice of our life. We want you to empower our daily existence. We want you to use us as you used Elisha to bless those that we love. And even those we hardly know. And that can only be done as we trust you, as we stand steadfast, as we're diligently about your plan for our life and the life of our loved ones. And so, Lord, my prayer is now, give us strength and a grace and a peace. Heavenly Father, walk through this congregation as you do and Lord, minister to every need, every want. But also, Lord, put a sense of urgency in us to live our lives so that they're notable unto you. May it be so. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. She came immediately to Elisha. Have you come to Jesus? The author and finisher of the faith. Sweet friend, this kind of notable life doesn't just happen. It comes about because of your relationship to him, knowing him as Savior. It, it comes about as his Holy Spirit abides in you, as it lives in you to face every crisis, as you go through this school of faith. Be taught by the master teacher and let him be your guide in all things. That comes with intimacy. That comes simply by asking him to be your Lord. How do you do that? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I try to be notable in your sight, but I fail. And Lord Jesus, what I ask right now is that you would forgive me. And Lord, I open my life like the Shuamite woman opened her house to Elisha. I open my life to you and I say, come abide in me. Sweet friends, something miraculous happens. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, His Spirit abides in your life. And Jesus makes an agreement with you never to desert you, never to leave you, to take you to His home. In my Father's house are many mansions, He said. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. Can it get any more personal than that? That's what He wants to do. If you let Him. Christian brother and sister, who walks by your house? Who strolls by your life? Who is it that God has planted close to you so that you can be unto them a blessing? Are we a people of hospitality? Are we a people that are content with what we have? Are we a people of faith? Or are we a people that are concerned only with ourselves and our needs and our wants? You see, God's watching. God is watching his children. What he's looking for is not that we're perfect. We'll never be perfect. What he's looking for is that we diligently, with all of our heart, follow him and are used by him are you this is the moment to do that let's stand you come i have decided to follow jesus I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I Okay, you got to see them in the baptistry, right? Well, here they are. And we're so thankful that they're here. So, uh, Council Blancas, they're right here. Who moved that we accept them and thank the Lord for them? If you'd like to welcome them, stand and say amen. Great, you guys are here. Come on. Chairman of Deacon, share with us next what God has done. This is Richard, and uh, 
Mary Martin, and they're coming by letter. Okay. And we'd like to accept them into the church. Amen. Now, these two are servants of the Most High God. They, they love God and they, they worship God. Richard, he, he shares the gospel message, he preaches, um, he's on the internet, um, and after service, most of the time, he's bouncing because he's so excited about hearing God's word, Amen. which makes me excited. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a blessing to me. I thank the Lord for both of you, and I ask that we might be a place that would minister and care and nurture you in the Lord Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to welcome them in the congregation, would you say amen? Amen. We're going to ask you guys if you'll go out with our chairman of deacons, and they're going to come and shake your hands. Usher's going to ask you all to come forward. Don Merkling is your deacon. Treat him kindly. You may be seated. <clears throat> Again, your ongoing ministry, you carry that on as your gifts, as you give, and thank you for that. God has been good to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much, and we are so grateful to being here, and not just uh, having such a powerful your word come to our heart and our mind, and Father, we just uh, joyfully see the baptism and the new members join this church and us, a big fellowship, encourage one another as well as comfort one another. Father, this, this congregation is about you, and uh, our giving is about you, too. Thank you for these opportunities we can give. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
let's have them stand, okay? Come on. Pianist organist, come on, stand. Let's, oh, yes. Oh, man. Wasn't that good? Goodness gracious. That's a gift to all of our mothers, fathers and sisters and brothers and all of us. That was wonderful. All right. Uh, no activities tonight. Spend that with loved ones. Uh, next Sunday, 2 to 4, we celebrate Ken and Carol's ministry with us before they go to Florida. What a gracious day this is. We're all dismissed. God bless you. Oh